Hello, everyone. This is Ron Bush, and you're listening to or watching the Information Playground. Welcome to us today. We've got a, a special guest, one that you've uh, regular viewers will be familiar with, Larry Young. I'll get to him in just a moment and introduce him. But first, I need to remind you that if you're listening to us in Northwest Indiana, you're uh, you're able to to uh, listen to us on the radio on WVLP, that's 103.1 FM. You can stream us from that any place in the world, or you can catch us on demand uh, on the Information Playground um, on uh, uh, any of the podcast platforms that I'm familiar with, and of course, YouTube. Uh, WVLP is a great local radio station. I hope, you, uh, I hope you're familiar with it, get involved with it. They give a lot back to the community and uh, they just are excellent folks, great folks to work with and, uh, and care a lot about the community and about each other. So with that said, uh, Larry uh, Young, our guest is an author, speaker, business development strategist. He helps companies align them, their sales process and leadership to achieve higher profitability. The uniqueness is that all of these processes start with how their dream clients are thinking. Today, we're going to talk about leadership and what we would like to do to get a glimpse of uh, into some of the things that Larry's seeing by working with some of the best companies throughout the nation. Larry, I, I've read that organizations are becoming more collaborative, more stakeholder involvement, and that is changing leadership. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, you, absolutely. What are you seeing as a challenge or opportunity within orga the organizations that you work with? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you and I had a conversation not that long ago and, you know, what was changing in the world of leadership. And of course, you and I have been around a while now, whether it's been in the corporate world or doing what we're doing. And so we've seen that evolution, you know, over the last 25 or so. We'll just leave it at 25 Thank years. Uh, how's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I, I'm seeing that companies right now are in the leadership aspect are really trying to transform into more of a collaborative leadership piece you know and, and that's really changed you think about it used to be ron it used to be kind of the the ceo was the smartest person in the room so the ideas kind of ran up you know they he or she vetted them sent them back down and then decided whether they really made sense but now organizations are becoming more flatter. You know, they're starting to kind of spread out a little bit. They're bringing expertise in. And so they're more collaborative. And the challenge that I'm seeing them face is really around the idea of influence, their ability to influence people. In the first side of it, you know, you have authority. So you really have two pieces. You have influence with authority. And then you have influence without authority. Mm -hmm. And those are people, you know, that again, you don't have control over. And it's posing some challenge and some opportunities for organizations. You know, I, I just got an email this morning, just minutes before getting on. I've used in the past, I've used a, a number of different distribution uh, channels to uh, uh, back in the days when I used to deal with hardware. It's been a few years for that. But even a lot of the service uh, companies are channel companies. They go through people like Ingram Micro and Tech Data and Cynix. Uh, I, I got an email this morning telling me that Cynix and Tech Data, uh, here's the pecking order. Ingram Micro's, I believe, the largest uh, uh, distributor in the world. It, when we get into to, uh, um, IT type things, your, your large, you know, Fortune 500 Best Buy uh, orders through uh, Ingram Micro probably. I, 
probably shouldn't say that because I don't know if they do or not, but, but the big guys order through, through them as well as tech data who has always been number two. Cynics number three, and then you get you get down in into the weeds. DNH, I don't even know if they're still around, but there's there's smaller distributors. The big three were always those three. So now number two and number three are merging. A few years yeah. ago, you had the same thing in record storage, Iron Mountain always being the biggest uh, worldwide. Um, uh, the uh, um, name for the uh, number two just went right out of my head, but a few uh, access was number three. Access and uh, uh, Iron Mountain got together and bought uh, up number two for the most part. There were a few things that the Department of Justice didn't allow either one of them to, uh, to gobble up, so to speak. Uh, where I'm going with all of this is all of the mergers and acquisitions. We've just seen one after another. In my industry, uh, Continuum's been bought by uh, ConnectWise. Uh, Max Focus, which had already bought up half a dozen other companies, uh, was bought by SolarWinds. SolarWinds was bought by somebody else. I mean, you name it, it's just been a feast out there um, uh, for, I don't know, <laughs> I don't, for the big guys, I guess. Uh, yeah. Not so much for the little guys. Does all of this, does all of this merger and acquisition, when we talk about collaboration, I think, man, in the, you know, going back a few years, you never heard of any successful merger or acquisition. They, yeah. they gobbled up, they got the assets. If they stripped the assets out, let the people go, well, they seem to do better than if they tried to bring everybody in. Instead, it seemed like when they tried to, to merge together, you had the, the old regime of the one that got acquired and you had the new regime of the ones that, that were the big kids on the block and things just didn't go well. Is, yeah. Do you see a difference in that? Or is there yeah. a way to overcome that? Well, I think you're, you know, you're right, you know, as the organizations that you work with get bigger, you know, it goes to the point that I said, you know, the CEO being the smartest person. So you look, you look at, you know, in your world and kind of the cybersecurity, you're probably, unless it's a smaller company, you're really not dealing with the CEO, you're probably dealing with a chief technology, technology officer or somebody in that world who has specialization. And so now being able to collaborate with that person, and then they're making decisions that pretty much go to the CEO and say, this is the right approach. And so it's not just one having influence over people with one person in charge. There's many people in charge and the people that are in charge don't necessarily have authority. You know, the other thing that you'll see, you know, and we saw this since, you know, 2008, the initial recession, uh, or the last recession where we, all organizations were trying to do more with less. Mm -hmm. And so organizations became flatter, right? So you had, you know, where you take like myself, you know, in my early years, I maybe had six to eight employees that you reported to. Now all of a sudden people have 20, 25. Mm -hmm. And so the collaboration is a function of, look, I can't manage all these people. So therefore, you know, these teams have to work together, get stuff done when nobody in that team necessarily has authority. And that's where influence is becoming a big piece of that. Excellent, excellent. Mm. So uh, let's let's go a little further with that influence with authority and without authority. Let's talk yeah. about that. How mm. how to work within that? How it happens? Uh, how to work within it? How to how to how to be successful on either side of that coin? Because there's challenges on both. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think first, you know, the, the, the definition, you know, really of your influence with authority, Ron, is like I was just mentioning, you know, back 
in the day, you know, in the mid to late nineties and even the turn of the century, you know, a lot of, a lot of managers had, had six to eight employees, your, 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 your group had a task that it had to be performed and the more efficient and the more effective you could be at it, the better you are. And those promotions ran up and the people that you were solely responsible for, for the people in your group. So you had authority to influence those people. And so you recruited them, you trained them, you developed them, and you promoted them. And that was the influence you had. And you kind of had, you know, I hate to use the example because it seems kind of crude now, but it's that donkey and the carrot, right? Where the, the manager is sitting on the back of the donkey with a stick and a carrot in front of him. And the carrot could have been a corner office, a pay raise, a promotion, something like that. And that's how we manage. And you influence people in that manner, Ron do your job, right? And that's kind of how we did it. And, and, and that still is relevant today, but, but I've noticed that, that managers have to have more tact, they've got to have better communication, they've got to have better rapport, accountability, and follow-up. Where it differs from influence without authority is that you don't have, you can't sit there and say, Ron, do this, right? So you're working as a collaborative team. So like when I work with companies that are like multidisciplinary, maybe they're like, a, as an example, be like an engineering and architect uh, design and construction, you have silos, and projects have to get done for the customers and people have to lead those projects, but they don't have authority over those people. And how do they create that? And of course, that's gotten bigger, you know, like I said, with the with the flatter organizations, but the gig economy, more specialization, siloed organizations, and, and really people bringing people in work to get better ideas. And so there's, that's where that more collaborative piece comes in. And so how do you lead that? And there's really some benefits to that as well. You know, I think about, you got me thinking about the old days now, and I'm going to make myself sound like I'm, you know, I'm before dirt, uh, you know, older than dirt. <laughs> but, but I can remember, uh, even though World War II is when women started getting into the workforce. But I can remember, you know, even in the in the 70s, there weren't that many women in a lot of areas. I, I can remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I did whatever I could get. You know, um, I drove truck, uh, short haul freight. Um, I, I remember uh, when UPS, my first year of college, I, I tried working all night at UPS. That and studying all day at college didn't work out too well for me. But but at least I made pretty good money while I was yeah. failing uh, out of college. Um, anyway, uh, you know, as I think about it, the workforce or the, the work environment, whether you're in an office or you're outside of an office, I can see a, a, major, a major transition to a more, I don't wanna say gentleness, but a more genteelness, a, a, a softer environment than what I started out in. I, man, I can remember guys, just, I mean, when you worked, uh, I was a service writer at a Cadillac uh, dealership for a while. And I tell you, I, there were words there. I thought I knew all the, the dirty words. I yeah. learned you in that place. Sometimes I was called them. Uh, sometimes I witnessed other people being called them. It was just a, it was just a harder life. Now mm -hmm. the government through legislation has helped a lot. OSHA has come through and I don't usually praise the government. So regular listeners, you know, do this with your, <laughs> plug your ears if this, if this hurts you. But, but it, it's true that in, is, as far as equal rights go, as far as labor relations go, and there's been a, a host of great laws that have been passed. I may not like all of them, 
but but I do appreciate the 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 more willing to work together that that's brought. Now we still have a, a ton of problems, and you're talking about them: influence with authority, influence yeah. without authority, and how to get around those. But I can't help but think how much better over the last 40, 50 years, really things have gotten. You, you may have been efficient back in the old days, but and maybe people, a lot of people were happy because they just accepted, you know, the guy up above me is going to beat me until he gets promoted and I get promoted up. And if I don't, if I don't work under him, then he won't beat me anymore. <laughs> and if I do work under him, he will, you know, it, yeah. it, it won't change much. It, but it, but it's not like that now. I mean, there's still power plays and there's still, there's still jerks in the world and there's still mean people. That'll always be true. Yeah. But I think yeah. things have gotten better. Um, when you talk about a flatter organization, it, it makes me think back to those days as well. When you had a hierarchical thing, when you had the royalty at the top, the CEO, like you said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you worked your way down, you know, you had your dukes and your princes and, and all of that. Most companies don't work that way now. Um, do you find it better? Um, if so, what are the benefits? If you if you don't, maybe there's some some disadvantages to it. What do you think? Yeah, I think that there's definitely advantages. I mean, first of all, everything that you said was, and that change has been a function of where the where the companies used to drive kind of what the culture is going to be. I think there's a, a paradigm shift in that the employees or the people that are coming into the workforce due to competitiveness are starting to demand the culture that they want. And so companies had to switch. You, you and I saw that, you know, we had to evolve away from the donkey and the carrot to be more collaborative. And I think what, what your benefits are really is the fact that you have communication, you have probably the most thing is your increased morale, mm -hmm. right? Because people feel like they're a part of something and their input is validated rather than just listening to someone to learn a task. There's usually less bureaucracy because it's all kind of done and then it's packaged up and, and sent up. And then there's more adaptability. People are allowed to shift more nimble. And I think those are the big benefits that you have for flatter organizations. Does it cause issue? Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. What it does is it puts pressure on companies to develop those soft skills that you were saying, you know, that with people that, that, that need to be able to have influence when they don't have authority. So you can't just put people into groups, even though they're specialized, because you can run into issues. I run into it all the time where, again, I'll use the, you know, the architecture, engineering, design, you got construction, you've got, you may have 10 people in a room, none of them have authority, they all have to work together, but all of them think they're the smartest person in the room. So how do you get anything done? How do you exercise authority? Because somebody's got to step up, right? And be able to do something, you know, and be able to make the deal go forward because time is money. And so the biggest, biggest issue that you have is you have to develop those soft skills, empathy, communication, verbal skills, things of that nature. You know, I'm on the, uh, I'm still on the board of uh, Center for Workforce Innovation in, in uh, uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. Um, the, one of the things that they they really promote and they've gotten involved in is teaching soft skills to high school students. Mm -hmm. Students get out of high school. Oftentimes they go through college, uh, and I'm I'm addressing just about every every industry I can think of. 
people get into the workforce and they just don't have those soft skills. We've gotten away from yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. We've gotten away from common courtesy. We've gotten, with all the communication tools we have, a lot of people just can't, still can't communicate. Now, when I was a kid, there were people that couldn't communicate. Sure. The, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the folks, uh, I remember I, I had a, an old uncle that uh, had been in World War I. Um, I. He was the strong, silent type. I think the movies, uh, you know, art imitated life. I'm not so sure if now life doesn't imitate art, but back then I think it was the other way. And, and uh, you know, he was just, I mean, I knew, I know the guy loved me. He, but you know, he never told me that. Uh, yeah. And, and men yeah. were men. So he didn't hold boy, little boy. I was probably four, five, six years old. You know, he didn't have anything to do with me because he was this big, strong guy, uh, World War I vet. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't in him to do it. And he didn't talk. I mean, I couldn't tell you what his voice sounded like. I know I heard him talk, but he didn't speak much. And we've, I still find some of that today that these aren't World War One vets. These are 18, 19 year old. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I teach, I teach for Ivy Tech and, and um, I'm amazed when I see young people that, that reflect, I mean, there's a lot of, again, I don't want to go overboard with this. There's a lot of, of positive, there's a lot of, of knowledge and there's a lot of, of, of quick wittedness and all the stuff that, that we look for in, in people to employ among every age group. But I'm amazed when I hit, I had students that can't communicate, they can't finish a coherent thought, um, they can't structure an argument. I don't call, I don't, I'm not calling on the failure of education. I'm not on that bandwagon. I, I just, I wonder, you know, it, Drucker said years ago that, that culture eats each strategy for breakfast. Yeah. I think that's still true whether you're talking work culture or you're talking home culture or the culture of the US, uh, world culture, there's culture in all those. Um, what, do you th what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of times it has changed and the people have changed and the way people communicate is different, whether you know, sometimes when we've been around for a while, it seems less formal than it was in, in the past, you know, and, and that, whole coal piece has changed, but we have to adapt to that. And the reality is when you have a flatter organization, you're allowing people authority without influence, you're growing with better ideas. Here's the, at the end of the story of this point is really the idea that it, it worked great in an authority setting when you had a great manager. Mm -hmm. What about those that didn't or didn't have somebody that wanted to promote them? You were stuck. And so in these environments, it gives people a chance to really step up amongst the crowd. And I think that's what helps the, the younger generation, if you will, flourish, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think the key to a lot of things is still, it's still a good home, a good, you know, solid upbringing. It's still, it's still the, the mentors that you meet or manage to be in, introduced to along the way. Uh, nothing is is as helpful on the job. You know, I had to wait till my, I think my 40s before I, I really met, a, a had a boss that I really, really in, ad, yeah. admired and respected and learned from that, that I got mentored. It's a shame it took that, <laughs> that long. Yeah. I yeah. started working yeah. when I was 15. We're talking a long time. Um, but you, you just, 
I don't know. You know, everybody's got the same the same problem. Whether you're a manager or you're a CEO, you still have the baggage that you came through with life. All the yeah. mentors that you in, in encountered in, in your home life growing up and all the rest of that. Yeah. I would imagine that leadership influence without authority is more of a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the when you think about leadership, uh, you know, how do you influence, you know, with authority, you know, as an example, we talked about that. And that's kind of like you said, with the Peter Drucker piece. But one of the tips that I give leaders a lot of times is try to influence uh, uh, authority, you know, or excuse me, have influence with people that you don't have authority over before you need it, before you need it is really crucial. And that really starts with having great rapport and great credibility with people when you don't need anything in return. That's how you really build influence. I'll tell you a story uh, for, for, for your listeners and viewers. It's a powerful story. I was just thinking of this the other day. Back when I first started, I was in a centralized environment. Like I said, I had the six to eight employees and I had great relationship with them. And I tried to spend time getting to know them and that type of thing. And I was a young manager. But in this centralized environment, what they would do is really kind of cool. The company would send an email and say, hey, Ron Bush's first day is you know, tomorrow and Ron is married to so-and-so and they give a little bit of a bio of you, you know, that type of thing. And they'd also send these on for, for your uh, anniversaries, like your, even your, like, or if people would get married or if you'd have kids, you know? And so I, uh, it's a very simple idea, but it makes a powerful point. So I started taking these emails and I would drag them over to my calendar and I would put them as a reoccurring annual appointment. And I would do this for everybody, people I didn't even know in, within the organization. And so, you know, of course, nothing happens for a year. Now things start popping up. And it was always interesting that I could walk over and you know, I'd see you in the halls. You don't even report to me. And I'd say, Ron, if memory serves me right, don't you have a one-year uh, one birthday with your uh, little baby coming up, don't you? And the look on your face was just like, who is this guy? You know, and, and then that would be rapport, you know, and you'd start doing that or you know ron isn't your this your five-year and you've been here about five years it's coming up soon mm -hmm. now you may think that that's manipulative but it wasn't because i came from a place of rapport and authenticity yeah. the power in that is that a lot of times people would like i'd walk through the break room you'd see people like who is that you know because they were trying to figure out because i had approached them about you know the, the their anniversary or whatever uh -huh. well anyway anyways um what was interesting is when I, back in the day, when I would run project management teams or I'd need some help on a particular project, I always had people to step up. I eventually became that guy that knew everybody's family and the guy that you always wanted to work with. But at the time that I was doing, it wasn't asking for anything in return. I didn't ask for a favor in return. I just did that. Yeah. Now, here's the, here's the power. This, I've never told this story. So about seven, eight years later, I finally, uh, I got promoted to a market president and I'm in a small town and the town is located by a river and a lake and a dam. And this is 2012 and, and the rains were coming, heavy snow, heavy rains, that type of thing. Dam is almost at the peak, right? So, so, so the Corps of Engineers basically says, folks, we got two days, we got to release the water. And there's a whole residential development down down river below the river and the water's just going to overtake the houses and they need to try to sandbag 
So this call goes out, people, they say, we need some help. We need some help for people to come and sandbag to try to save as many of these houses as we can. I'm getting goosebumps already. And so I send an email to just one buddy of mine in a town in the Midwest, about it's about 90 miles away at this time. And I said, Hey buddy, if you got any friends that need uh, a little exercise, I need some help down here for sandbagging. Well, the team that I had in this small town was only about 20 people, Ron. And I could only afford to give like seven of them because we still had to run the bank, you know, I had to keep it open. Yeah. So the seven of us show up to help the community. We got our red shirts on, you know, to support the company and we're sandbagging and it's looking a little dismal because the Corps of Engineers says two days we're letting the water go. And all of a sudden there was a roll behind us and there was three buses and cars and pickups that pulled up and, and I had 120 of my friends at the old place I was at with red shirts come out. And of course I'm emotional, right? I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. There's my buddy that I called. He said, when Larry calls, we're here to help. And those guys and gals all sandbag for 12, 13 hours. Mm-hmm. And, and say, we say we uh, the community saved these houses from, from destruction. And that my friend is leadership without authority because I didn't ask for anything when I was asking them about their anniversaries, but when I called a need, they were there. Then you can imagine the impact in the community as well for the business as well. You gave me goosebumps too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. You know, an awful lot of it just goes back to those things. There used to be a book, I think his name was Robert Fulgham called uh, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. You know, a Mm. lot of that is just being good, just being a good person. Yeah. You, you, you meet somebody, you get to know them, you befriend them just because you want to, because not yeah. to get something out of them, not to manipulate them. It's amazing how much nice stuff comes back to you when you've, when you've built the, the foundation for it, which reminds me of uh, uh, Seven Habits, uh, Kobe, Kobe's book. Yeah, that's uh, right. Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. It's, it's keeping the engine, uh, the gas tank full. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's those foundational things that I don't know if we still teach, but when I was a kid, my grandmother used to teach, you know, you'd be good sure. to other people yeah, and don't be good to them just to get something out of them. You'd be good to them because you're a good person, be a good person. Maybe, maybe in all the, uh, the entertainment and the I'll be back stuff, maybe we've forgotten that it's, you don't have to, you know, drive over everyone, not in a, in a, in a, a desire to succeed or any other reason. Maybe it's, yeah. maybe the right thing is to do is to be a good person, do the right things for the right reasons. You know, Ron, somebody asked me one time, they said, how do you, how do you learn to be so authentic? And I said, the key is to be authentic. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, that's how you do it. And, and, um, but that was an emotional moment where you start to realize that you can influence people that don't report to you. And in a time of need, you know, you may be able to pull on those. Yeah. Gosh, I wonder, I wonder how many people listening or watching this, this is new. I wonder how many people are, are saying, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, we used to think about that. We used to do that. And other people have never heard it, never heard these thoughts, never, never encountered that, that story is powerful because it's, it brings across so many salient points that are probably, I mean, lost 
on a lot of people, when you watch movies about, uh, uh, you know, people in business, um, the, 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 the CEO is, all, I can't think of an exception. The CEO is almost always painted uh, just to be this animal, you know, um, the, the, the strong survive. And if you don't, right. what's, the, what's the phrase? And I use it a lot of times in, in cybersecurity. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's that kind of idea. Cybersecurity is, I'd like to think of it as a different <laughs> industry where it's a yeah. but, um, but when we talk about work uh, relationships and the, the echelons at work, um, maybe, we, maybe we need to go back to some of those old ideas, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated, those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. I'm going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, let's get into some things that we've we've talked about doing. I, I know leveraging networks is uh, is important, and I was just thinking as you were talking about uh, LinkedIn, how I I mean I do that. I I wish people a happy birthday. I don't expect to get anything out of them. One of these days, maybe maybe they'll have an issue and they'll say, "Oh yeah, guy Bush, you know, he always wishes me happy birthday. Mm. He does this stuff, you know." Maybe it won't. I don't care. It's. I mean, I do care, but I. I just hope they do have a good birthday, or a, a good anniversary, or for whatever reason, I send a, send an email or a message. So you are listening to the Information Playground. I'm Ron Bush. I own Ron Bush Consulting, and we are a cybersecurity consultancy. We help uh, businesses uh, um, avoid data breaches. I do uh, risk assessments, uh, information security policies and procedures. Uh, incident reports, employee training, uh, all kinds of things that help companies uh, avoid data breaches. Now, nobody's hack-proof, uh, as is evidenced by our National Security Agency and just about all the rest of government, um, as well as some of the bigger cybersecurity firms. Nobody's hack-proof. But there are things that you can do that will protect your employees, your, uh, your customers or clients or patients, uh, there are things that you can do that will protect your business reputation, and, and we can help you there. Uh, we come to you on uh, Monday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. and Friday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. on uh, as the information playground on WVLP. That's a, a small FM radio station in Valparaiso, Indiana. It kind of gave me my start in this, and uh, uh, I love the folks there. They do a great job uh, in, the, in the community. And if you're interested in being a part of that, maybe underwriting this program on that or any of their other fine programming, wvlp.org is the uh, is the website. You can go there. You can stream us. Uh, you can get involved with them, uh, whatever that leads you to do. You can catch us on demand under the Information Playground on any of the podcast platforms that I'm familiar with, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, any of them. Or you can catch us the video on uh, YouTube, also under the Information Playground. You can reach me, Ron, at ronbushconsulting.com. Larry, tell the folks your business and how they can reach you. Yeah, I can be reached. Uh, uh, my website's boilingfrogdevelopment.com. Uh, easiest to reach me on my email, boilingfrogdevelopment at gmail.com. You can catch me, Larry Young, at LinkedIn or Facebook at Boiling Frog and message me anyway. Great. Great. Boiling frog uh, uh, harkens back to that uh, illustration where the, the frog in the kettle uh, yep, and slowly yep. turn. Yeah. 
So we teach, we teach businesses to recognize their environments changed and adjust their leadership and sales accordingly. Great, great. Well, let's talk about leveraging networks. What, what, yeah. is, what is that all about? Let's, let's get into it. Yeah, so, so to, as a backdrop, so I was in that sales environment that I spoke of, but then you know, early in my career, then I got out into an environment where I was leading teams where in order to get a job done, you know, or a deal for a customer, as an example, I might have to have a partner that's, you know, in Dallas, Texas, or Tucson, or, or New York. And, and so you've got people that now all of a sudden, I don't have the emails, right? I don't have that ability. And this is before, really before virtual was a big deal. So I didn't have the face-to-face. -face. So you had no relationship. I couldn't see them in a break room. And, and how do we start to create buy-in with people that really, you know, like a lot of these people had workloads. So you might call and say, hey, Ron, I need a favor. I got to get this done for a customer. And they'll be like, no, I got 10, 12 of these in a queue. What makes you so special? Yeah. You know, and so how do you start to create buy-in with people and get people to do things when you don't truly don't have that authority? I didn't have the ability to say, drop the other 10, do mine first. I just didn't have that yeah. at that at that point anyways. And so there, what I really developed over time is that there's really four kind of key key in areas that one, if you're trying to create buy-in or sell an idea or move a project forward, or even with a customer, a, a difficult customer, it's leveraging a network, creating a buy-in, powerful communication and negotiations. Those are kind of the four cornerstones really being able to move a deal forward. So, you had asked about uh, like leveraging networks, uh -huh. you know, then I would imagine that you do that. You talked about LinkedIn a little bit, but really you have, you know, really what I, what I help people with is to establish is you have three types of networks. If you think about it, Ron, and there's a really, um, there's great books around networking and things, but here's kind of the, the scoop on it. You have a kind of an internal network that's naturally within your organization, a bigger organization. And those are the people that help you get stuff done. So in my past life, those are people I could call in that centralized environment and said, hey, can you get this done? They'd be like, yeah, Larry, let's get that done. You know, and, and by and large, what ends up happening, the good side of that is it's very easy for people to do. It's very easy to create that network because those people are right there. And usually the network is all the people that you need to complete the task. So get the, give me the loan docs for the customer, do this for the customer, and then we get it closed for the customer. The downside of this, what I see leaders do is they spend so much time in this that they don't develop their other networks because it's very easy to do this. And a lot of times, if you get the same group of people thinking the same way, because you think, well, that'll be easier. I can move deals forward. You don't get any no, new creative thought. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes managers can fall into this trap of, I only spend time developing the internal network. The second, and really the most, one of the most powerful is your people network. And this is what you and I, most of your listeners and viewers will recognize. These are the people usually outside the organization. This is friends. This is contacts. These are people that are that are good for information, um, you know, resources, maybe something, maybe sometimes a shoulder to cry on or something like that, you know, that type of thing. And what usually happens is leaders don't spend all the time as much time on this because they they're more task oriented. So they're focusing on that internal 
not so much what does the external really do for me. And the thing that they miss, the value in a people network developing that is a lot of times some of my best ideas have come in my business. And even in when I was in the corporate world have come from people that aren't even in the same industry as me. Yeah. So they'll, they'll just come to me and they'll say, well, this is a problem I'm facing. Well, I'm facing something kind of like that. And you get a new perspective. So managers have to be able to develop the people network. And then the third is your strategic network, Ron. And really, those are the people that kind of open doors for business or for your projects or for your ideas. Those are people that can kind of help you give, you, give you a different thought or maybe an external resource that can help your project move forward. These are your movers and shakers. And a lot of times, again, people don't spend very little time because there's a lot of work that takes it takes to build a strategic network. But a quick tip, if you'd like. Yeah. One of the one of the best. Um, I had a great story. I met a, a, a buddy of mine from the old days and um, he wanted to hang out with a group of CEOs that he could build that strategic network. And what he did, he got into running. So he formed in the community here, a cell running club of 15 guys and gals. Mm -hmm. and, and so what he's done is he's, he's brought people that commonality and interest that were CEOs and nothing that he did, but he started to build that strategic network by finding commonality and forming a group. Very simple, not easy, but a very simple way to start building a very strong strategic network. Excellent. So uh, I know running, taking up running would be a good idea for me. I, I, <laughs> I, I uh, in the past, have only run when people chased me. So that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> so you mentioned four, internal network, people network, strategic network, or was there three? No, there was just three. There's four overarching with the leveraging and creating buy-in. And got it, got it. So... When I go into a company, let's say that I'm I'm uh, I'm hired to go in and uh, I need to uh, create their information security policies and procedures. It depends on the size of the company. I may just stay in the uh, in the the IT department or or mostly stay in the IT department. Uh, I may be out into all the other departments. If it's a small company, you know, I'll just get with the uh, the owner, CEO, president, whatever. It, it is in the structure and, and kind of, I'll get the, the overarching uh, structure, I guess it, you will, needs and, and what have you. But usually the guy at the top doesn't know what the needs are. He knows what he wants the end result to be, but he doesn't mm -hmm. know all the stuff that goes into it. So really when I go into just any, any size organization, I basically have to, to bring a team together whether, whether you know it or not, you're gonna be on my team. Um, I'm going to work with you to find out what the needs are in your department of your organization, what have you. And that's usually not gonna be from the top because he doesn't know right. or she doesn't know. Um, it's usually gonna be people that actually do the work day in and day out. So I, I put the, uh, I, I, I base what the, or figure out what the needs are by talking to the employees. And then I put together the policies, the procedures, that apply to that organization. Uh, you know, I've been doing this a while. Naturally, a lot of that stuff is boilerplate at this time, but not all of it. Some is going to be customized to each individual organization. So that being able to, to bring a team together within the organization, and I, I'm including myself in the organization at that period of time, is instrumental. 
Um, any, and I'm going to go to the to the next two after this. But on this one, any any clues how to be how to be efficient in doing that? Yeah, you know it actually uh, ties into the next one, which is creating buy-in. So when you're <clears throat> when you're networking, you know we about going to a chamber event or something like that. But when you're selling, like in your world, to answer your question, you're building a network with inside that company to initiate the procedures or processes that are going to protect them from cyber security or cyber fraud things. So, uh, so a lot of times I, I do a, a whole seminar on this, but the, the idea is that you have to build, know who your cheerleaders are that are in there, who are going to be your adversaries are in there, who are going to be kind of your supporters, you know, who are going to be your champions and kind of define those out. And then who in the end has the end all decision, because that network inside there, this is what I teach salespeople is that network inside of there is, are the people that are really pushing it forward and be able to create the momentum to move your idea forward and if you're not conscious about that and you're only dealing with one person and forgetting you never know what maybe the janitor thinks or right or where the facility manager might have some input and you forgot about them as a network and a stakeholder and so that's where it ties into um, the next one which was really Ron buy-in and, and when you identify those individuals you have to create buy-in there's a Forbes did a study that showed that 70% of organization initiatives fail due to lack of buy-in because people can't get the traction for it. So they get in there, they get into your, like your scenario, you're pitching your, 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 your services and the, and the protection, you've got the IT manager, but then there's all these other people sitting around the room. And you'll find that when you get in there, you'll find some personalities that can stall your influence. They can stop the deal. And so there's a really good book I'll recommend for your, for your uh, listeners and your readers. Uh, it's called Buy-In by John Cotter. And um, fascinating. It's a short book, but the first half of the book is a story. And then the second half applies the principles, but it's the whole idea of buy-in. And it's one of the single uh, best books I've read in terms of that topic because it really gives you strategies. But John, I've kind of renamed him a little bit, but John talks about, think about your scenario where you're pitching your idea, right? And so you've got maybe the tech manager there as an example, if that's kind of your decision maker, and you've got other people around the room. And so you're giving your presentation and, and I've had this happen in business. I've had it happen in nonprofits, but he, John Cotter talks about four types of people that derail your, your, your thing. And one is the, the first one's the boogeyman, or I call it Armageddon. They're the person that raises fear and anxiety. This is the person Ron sits there and says, well, what if this, and what if that, and what if that, and what it does is it makes everybody in the room start to go, well, Ron, you didn't think about what if, what if, what if, mm -hmm. and those what ifs may have nothing to do with anything, but it starts to debunk your credibility. And you'll see people start to do that. And so I'll, at the end, I'll kind of tell you how to deal with these individuals. The second person is the death by delay. I saw this in the nonprofit world all the time. You know, you get things like, you get a lot of questions and I think you're smiling. So I think you know where this is. Let's push this off to another meeting or let's, let's form a, a little task committee to kind of dig into this a little deeper. And death by delay is the killer of an idea. The third person is the confuser. This is the person that has the irrelevant points. You know, back in 1969, this is when, right? This is when we did this, you know, and, and it has nothing to do with 
anything. It's old stories. And then the last person is kind of ridiculer. That's the person that directly attacks you like, Ron, did you even go to college for this? Right. You know, I mean, those are direct attacks that doesn't happen very often, but those four people and you're smiling because you've seen it. Haven't you? Oh, you've seen all that the time. all the time. The, the, uh, the boogeyman, Usually I'm I'm enough of a scare when I'm yeah. someplace that I don't get the boogeyman, but the death by delay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I hear that all the time. Well, you know, now may not be the best time for that. You know, is is after you're down for a week and your business is bankrupt, is that the time to, to talk about this? It's it, in every aspect of this, it's always selling. Every part of this is selling. Yeah. You got to sell the 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 uh, the company. And, and you're right, it's, it's often the CTO, uh, the chief technology officer, sometimes it's chief information officer, sometimes it's the CISO, the chief information security officer, yeah. sometimes it is the CEO. Um, it, CFO, a lot of times, more than you would expect, uh, chief financial officer. It, everyone's going to have a different viewpoint or perspective on this. The CIO may not want me there because he's afraid I'll uncover something that he missed. Yeah. The CTO may yep. do the same thing, um, as well as the, the CISO. If, if this a, a company that has to be compliant and I come in, you know, oh, this guy knows all about HIPAA. Well, yeah. the CISO may say, well, you know, maybe I don't want this guy there. So it, it's overcoming those guys, but it's also finding out who your champion is. If you don't have a champion, yeah. everything you do is going to cost money. It's That's going right. to cost time. And that costs money. And you got to have a budget for some of the stuff. Uh, everything is going to cost. And so if you don't have a champion, and it, I mean, nothing against mail clerks, but it can't be the mail clerk. It's got to be higher up, like on the C-level or board of directors, somewhere up there. If you don't have somebody pulling for you, that death by, by, uh, by yeah. delay, he'll bury you. It'll, they'll, they'll just keep kicking it down the road and it's just an easy out because yeah. people get frustrated. I can't make a decision. So what I tell people is stay calm. You know, you got to listen, you know, and um, have empathy, you yeah. know, don't get defensive. Don't go off on, I always say short responses. A lot of times people want to re reiterate, you know, what they were proposing or something like that. What you really, what people have to realize, and John Cotter talks about this in the book, is a lot of times in an organization where you're pitching, it's not a matter of getting 51% approval on a vote and something like that. You still need 80 or 90. I think that's a powerful idea because you have to get people to buy in that this works. And so, so having people go ahead and say, what's bothering them and then address that is a, actually a good thing. So staying calm, letting them respond and say, you know, and then coming back to that. But in John's book, if you read it, um, you know, he gives some good rebuttals for those types of things and stuff, but stay calm. Yeah. I love that. I love that getting it out in front, in front of everybody, yeah. because if you've got somebody that's been passed over for a promotion or they, they've had the idea and then they got ridiculed for their idea, now you're you're coming in from outside and or even if you're inside, you're coming up with yours and and it's being favorably received. There can be bitterness, there can be hatred, there can be jealousy, can be yeah. all this stuff. And you have no idea. You have no idea what's causing it or where it's coming from. You may find out in private, but you can't do anything about it in private. If you unsurface it in a public setting, well, you know, Joe, tell me, I, I appreciate your uh, your your comments. What is it that you're, you know, that you're pulling from on that? Why do you say that? 
you must have a reason for saying that. Please tell me what it is. The old Tom Hopkins uh, uh, objection overcomer. Um, yeah, yeah. You just if you get if you get it in a public in the public square, then everybody's a part of it. Yeah, I think it, there's there's always two things that worried me real quick, and that's where it ties into the third one, the powerful communications. Is I all read about the new person in the room. Right, like somebody got invited to your meeting where you're pitching at the last moment of the nonprofit or whatever I'm involved in, because they were usually the one. Then the other person is whose job does this affect? Because you as a consultant, I see it all the time. If I come in as an expert, now it looks like somebody in the organization is less than. And that's really not what we're trying to do as as consultants, but those are where you get your adversaries. And so it ties in, Ron, to the third uh, stable of the four, which is powerful communications. And so really uh, being able to have influence is, about, uh, uh, is really about communications, which is your stay calm, you know, it's your, it's your listening, it's your empathy. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. I think I have it somewhere on my desk here, but I've got the thing, you know, uh, ta uh, seek first to understand and then be understood. Whereas you and I have joked off offline sometimes, you know, two ears, one mouth, use it accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there's a there's an acronym that I run across um, called WAIT, W-A-I-T, which is an acronym for why am I talking? <laughs> so taking the time, yeah, taking the time to ask yourself, okay, why am I speaking? What's the purpose? And I think that goes back to those four types of people is not why am I talking, but why are they talking, right? Or why are they saying that? Or why do, why am I rebutting? Or why am I getting defensive? So sometimes you can be like, I'm talking because I'm defensive. I'm talking because I'm nervous or something like that. Yeah. So I, I, I give leaders uh, a really good, uh, a quick story, but my, you know, I played college football and then I coach football. My boys have played football and baseball and sports. And so I've observed coaches and I've been around coaches and I, somebody always asked me, what's one of the differences between, you know, good coaches and great coaches. And I would say great coaches have three levels of conversation with people they're trying to influence, which is really their, their players. One is Ron, if you, if you want to block down on the tackle, you need to move in this direction, right? You need to put your, this foot first and block down on the tackle. The second level of communication is, now, Ron, I told you how to do it. You need to block down, put left foot first. You need to get in there. And the third usually has some type of expletives, right, that says, <laughs> Ron, get off my field. I'll find somebody else to do it. Right. The problem with coaches, and now we'll transition to leaders when you're influenced, is a lot of times leaders get stuck in one of those levels. They're always the yeller or they're always the trainer and they don't vary. And so one of the secrets to great leadership is to know when to use a conversation like this or a level two, and sometimes in a more professional way, a level three conversation. And that's the difference between leaders that influence. Excellent. We're, uh, we're getting close to the uh, yeah. time. So let's go to negotiations. Yeah, we'll let's finish up there. Yeah, negotiation. So a lot's been written on negotiation, but I'll, I'll give you two two big tips that you don't normally hear. One, always know that you're in a negotiation. One, a lot of times when I'm talking to leaders and maybe they're given a performance review that blows up in their face or a salesperson, you know, all of a sudden says, Larry, I'm getting these objections that, you know, I can't seem to overcome. What I usually tell them is that the problem usually stems from early on. It usually stems from sometime way back before you were at that point. When you're dealing with 
employees, when you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with people, understand that you're always in a negotiation. You're always influencing. You're always creating rapport. You're always giving something and someday you're going to have to take back. So always know that with every, whether you're answering a phone call for a customer, always. The second is that you have to, I'll give you two quick. The second is you have to know what your fallback position is. What is that? What can I get? That seems pretty obvious. The third is that you always have to make the other person run, know that they have some type of power in the negotiation, even if sometimes they don't. And this is one of the big things in, in, in really influencing people. Real quick, when I was selling my house in Phoenix, you know, I, uh, this couple showed up two hours after we posted it, they get out of their car, the guy and I'll get out three little boys, they run out and they look, we live by a greenway and a basketball court. They said, this is perfect sons. We can play basketball over. This is great. And there's a pool, right. And they, and they run inside and the realtor goes in, they spend about 45 minutes. They come back out and the guy says, this is perfect. He goes, this is exactly what we want. This is the place that we want to be. The wife is saying, yes, I love it. I love the inside. The price is just right. It's just perfect for it. And he looks at the real and says, make this deal happen. Make this deal happen. And so the, everybody piles in the car. The realtor gets in her car and she goes, I'll write it up. I'll send it to the realtor. And the guy gets in, goes to get in his car and he opens the door. He's got one hand on the, on the door and the other on the hood. And he's kind of looking around like he's surveying his future castle. And he looks up and he goes, oh, crap. He goes, they have a Nest camera. We had a Nest camera up above the garage. Uh -huh. and, and all of a sudden, his demeanor just changed. And here's the thing. We never heard from those people again. No return email or call from realtor to realtor. They never came back. And why is that? Because they felt like they didn't have a say in it. They knew that the Nest camera had picked up their position. The fact that they loved the house, they were willing to pay some price close to that. It was within budget. It was perfect. And they knew that they lost their negotiation and they never responded again. <laughs> wow. And so I, I leave you with that because it's a powerful way. We always have to make our team, our employees, or people on the other side of us encounter feel like they have a piece in that and that we're all moving them forward to a common goal. And Ron, to your listeners and viewers, that's in leadership influence. Excellent. Excellent. Well, as always, it's, it's great to have you on the program. Um, I always enjoy our time together and uh, I always learn. And so, uh, so it's, uh, it's great. Let's go, uh, let's go through the, the, uh, the, the fine points. We've got uh, maybe a minute and a half. Okay. Recap what we've discussed today and then tell people how to reach you. Yeah. So real quick, I think you got to discern the difference between leadership influence with authority and without. And with it, you got to have rapport and credibility intact. You got to treat people with respect and always be doing that to people that you don't have authority because someday it'll come around. With people that you're trying to influence without authority, I think it's a powerful skills to learn soft skills, which are really, as we just kind of went through, it's kind of your negotiation. It's building your network. It's learning how to create buy-in and it's having that powerful communication. And those are the things that when you work on, we talked about ma developing management skills rather than leadership. When you're developing skills, that's how you become a very influential leader. And so I help organizations to do that through their leadership, through their sales. I can be reached again at, at boilingfrogdevelopment at gmail.com. Uh, boilingfrogdevelopment.com is my website, but LinkedIn, Larry Young or Facebook, Boiling Frog are great ways to connect me and message me. If 
for a short conversation. So Excellent. thanks for having me on, Ron. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to Larry Young. Um, I'm Ron Bush, Ron Bush Consulting. Catch me, Ron, at ronbushconsulting.com. Check out my book, um, Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World. Think before you click. Uh, that's available on Amazon. Check out the information playground on WVLP, as well as uh, any of the, the uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcast, uh, uh, Google podcast, any of, any of the podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Um, thanks for being with us today. I hope you have a great one. All right.